Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs or on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcast. And if you want food delivered, definitely look at DoorDash as your solution. So thank you, everyone, for listening in. Again, I'm back in New York City as we've done the last few podcasts. I have James Gonzalez with us from La Fonda up in Manhattan. How are you doing today, James? I'm doing great. I've been with James for a while. He's fed me a lot of coffee, guys. So if I'm talking really (laughs) fast, it's not only because I'm in New York, but it's because I have quite a few cappuccinos or sorry, lattes in me. Uh, James, let's talk about the location we're in now as we go into it. we actually let's go back a little bit let's touch upon your story again so if anyone hasn't listened to part one they can get familiar with you the abbreviated version and then let's sort of talk about the location we're in and then get back into the main location yeah of course so i'm one of the co-owners of la fonda boricua or la fonda it's been in the community for over 30 years on the different ownership you had george and gina then la fonda boricua now just la fonda uh, that's located on 169 East 106th Street, New York, New York, in the heart of East Harlem. Uh, I've been there for nearly five years. Um, more recent ownership within the last two years. Um, last that we spoke, I was actually going to the hospital to drop some food off to uh, to the nurses that were taking care of my business partner uh, due to his current situation. Very cool. So... What are your, you're an entrepreneur now. We talked a little bit about your free spirit. Like that's part of what you're doing here in this location. I'm here, you're sort of, you've developed a menu. You, you have people in uh, for coffee and tea and other things. So what is it that, that you're doing? I'm trying to get the essence out of this place because I feel it being in here and recording. I sort of want to be able to verbalize why here, what do you, like this area down in uh, Manhattan, the lower, I think we're in the lower the east lower side. The lower east side, Chinatown. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, like, why here? What do you what do you like about being here? Like, this is location, location, location. Yeah. It's important in New York, right? Yeah. So, the opportunity came about because I, the other business of this particular coffee shop has a place uptown near where I, I live. And I would go frequent, and he had mentioned that it was difficult for him to maintain both, not because of traffic, more so he's a, a father, he's being an active father, you know, he's an active relationship, and this industry could suck you up. Yeah. I don't have any children, I'm not married, so it's a little more easy for me. And when we came to see the place, I fell in love with it more so for, I remember the park growing up and seeing a lot of the, you know, the people doing Tai Chi in the in the park, but at the same time, just the community vibe. I'm not far from Lower East Side, which was like little Puerto Rico back then. I'm not far from Little Italy and Chinatown. So the place itself just felt right. And then when redesigning the layout, what I wanted to do was I wanted to make this more of a feel of a chef to table without being a chef to table, right? And I wanted people to come in and feel welcome, but more so connect and and be able to mingle and socialize and make the coffee shop by day it's called dia noche right so by day having a coffee shop but feeling that you know social connection vibe where you can communicate 
and network with people and talk to people. And then the noche spot is just to do the same thing, but at nighttime, right? So for those early birds that don't want to come out, now they have a spot they can come to for mocktails, eventually cocktails and tapas. Um, but everything about this place was to break the, the social norm that currently exists in restaurants where everything's fast paced. In this spot, it'll never be that. Right, if you want a croissant, you gotta wait 15 to 20 minutes for it to bake. Um, if it's a basic muffin that's already cooked and I need to reheat it, you gotta wait seven to 10 minutes. And even from the simplest of, of making your coffee, your cappuccino, I don't have cold brew in here for a reason. You know, if you want iced coffee, I can make it nice and cold for you in the beginning, but I just want people to come in here and feel connected to to food again connected to beverages again connected to themselves one of the things i've noticed since i've been here is there's a lot of individuals have come in the door um you've been very you know easygoing and then everyone kind of stays they feel at home once they come in the door uh the working here as we can probably hear in the background um and i think that's cool i think that's an inviting environment and it's less about the menu and more about what do you want and what's the experience that you want and the establishment of a relationship also like breaking bread like it's more than just consuming here uh coffee or food in from what i feel here and so i think that's important i think that goes back to also your heritage Mm -hmm. and and being puerto rican and and similar in italian background is that we connect so much family and tradition and values uh with food so i think that just being in here you can just feel that and I think that's a that's to you. So thank you, James, for inviting me here, and I appreciate it. So what is it that you're hoping like to inspire? I mean, there's a lot of people in here. We talked about like the difference in the restaurant and the the casualness, but there's a lot more than that. Like you're on this life mission almost, and we talk about you want to work to a certain age and then maybe have more. What is it that you're ultimately working towards? So with both my locations. <clears throat> The long-term goal is everyone that works for me, I want them to earn equity in the restaurant. So when I do step away, I know people are keeping the legacy alive longer. And the energy that they put into it now becomes a part of them. Too often, I feel we do this as a mistake with businesses. We think so much of ourselves and so much greed and money and this and that. And we lose sight of, of the people that are actually working for us, the people that are actually putting in the blood, sweat, the hours, you know, the sacrifices. Yeah. Um, I was saying this earlier, at the age of 45, I, when I say I want to pull back, I mean, I still want to be like on a board and, and conversate with the people that are, are running the spot, but I just don't physically want to be there anymore. Yeah. Uh, probably do like a jiu-jitsu school or something, you know, martial arts school. Um, but it's mostly to just give back. I mean, the one thing with La Fonda, it's been in the community now for collectively with different ownerships, I want to say 34 years, if I'm not mistaken. And not a single person is a partner there. And that bothered me because there were people that were working there at one point for 10, 15 years. And I I just, you know, this is no fault to, to, to Jorge, the founder, but I don't think he was given that opportunity to let people know like, hey, you can give a piece of this to people. And I think a lot of restaurateurs don't know they can do that, right? You find some loyal employees that are gonna work really hard for you, give it to them. Um, So what I'm doing is I just wanna shape and change how we do it. I don't think I'm big enough to have like a GM, 
I will never have a manager. Um, at one point, maybe a GM to walk around and go to the multiple locations and monitor it, but never a physical manager because I want people to feel like, hey, I work here. This is my space. This is my baby. I want to grow it with the community. I want to be a part of it. So what I'm creating is just, it's something completely different. It's not, this isn't about me. If I wanted to chase money, I go back to sales and marketing and, and biz dev and I'll do that. I make good money there. This is more just to leave a legacy for other people. At the end of the day, we're all going to die, right? So, Absolutely. And I think this is what <clears throat> a lot of, uh, as Americans in particular, are newer countries that have been decolonialized, for lack of a better term, where our, our countries are a little newer, boundaries that have been built to form our countries, in our minds, actually, are there. <laughs> and, um, but one of the things is, like, the legacy of our business can last hundreds of years. Like, we're just, we don't see that because our country is so young, but you go to countries in Europe and you can see some of the family businesses that have been around, like, some even a thousand years. Yeah. Like, you don't realize it, but that's possible even when business didn't function in the structure that we're talking about. Some of these places, scotches, beers, whatever, you see them go back hundreds of years. So this is just an example. Some of the food, some of the shipping companies mm -hmm. as well, they go back hundreds of years so it's not uncommon but it's also you know it's not only about family some of these companies get passed on to different family members some of them get passed on to shareholders some of them get passed on to employees and so when that transition happens I think it's important to say like there is legacy here for our businesses and we want these businesses and these brands to go on and keep making a difference like you're doing in the neighborhoods keep representing Puerto Rican culture because there's a lot of Puerto Ricans in America mm -hmm. And in the Americas, even though Puerto Rican is technically of America, but a territory, yeah. but you know what I mean. It's one of those, <laughs> bound it. it's one of those boundaries yeah. in our mind thing <laughs> that we have to vote for and um, to create. We, have, we create the boundary in our mind by voting for it. So the, um, or uncreated, depending on how you look at a territory. And so... I think there's all of that in what you're talking about and it's very holistic and it's realizing that we're merely a speck in humanity mm -hmm. and the impact that we make, we don't get a lot of time to do it. And if the time that we have to do it, if we're not impacting, I think we live very much in a purpose-driven world now. Like we should be purpose-driven entrepreneurs, meaning our businesses shouldn't just be about money. There should be serious purpose behind them, positive purpose. And so you're involved in the community you, you're involved you like getting to meet everyone how like talk to me about that to you like how much does it mean investing in the employees and making sure that they can put food on their table and maybe put their kids through college like let's talk about that a little bit because i know that's part of your mindset yeah it's um i gotta get a little better at it because it's too much like i'm i'm very giving in the form like i haven't paid myself in two years right that's business 101 you pay yourself first um i've been fortunate enough to swing trade here and there and cover my rent all right because i know that we're not you know immortal um the pandemic, be all right, so I'm gonna take it a real step back. So the pandemic opened up my eyes to everything. Like it truly opened up my eyes to everything. I remember we started partnering with World Central Kitchen and we had people on the line. And there were people that were embarrassed to be on the line because they recognized me because they, 
you know, they had their own small company that relied on restaurants and when restaurants were shut down they had no work some of them worked for companies that were just as small and had to let them go and here they are on my line waiting for food and you know the one thing my grandmother said in, in Spanish it said la única cosa en la vida que no negar es la comida so the one thing you never deny in life is food right? and I remember that being so powerful and then seeing the people that I was like alright what am I doing myself you know there's a greater purpose there's a greater cause and so I just started focusing heavily on my employees focusing heavy on the community making sure that everyone got a piece of me before I die right because maybe there'll be that one lesson that changes the next person and give them hope or or change the way they do things and I put a lot of that into my employees and I should have vetted a little more you know I was I was a little blindsided in some instances where I was taken advantage of because that happens right it's yeah the world we're in yeah especially when you're a giver their t- takers tend to come out of the woodwork yeah, a lot yeah uh and they'll have a big you know uh mask on yeah up they until pretend the to be givers off. yeah yeah and so so that's why i saying like i got to get better at that but i won't lose sight and i won't let that crush me in the long term so now i have a few employees that i've been helping guide them in the direction of hey you could do this you could do that I have one, for example, one staff member, she wants to to leave by April, and a part of it's because in the mind it's, oh, if I work closer to home, I could do this, and I just, I killed that. I said, no, listen, if you prioritize your time better, and you structure it better, you could do more. I said, because there's going to be few business owners that are going to be like me, where I give you that much, you know, um, uh, autonomy I guess right yeah to do what you want and create and grow within a place that already exists yeah exactly you know I could choose not to be that way but I want you to grow I want you to find your purpose and and dream and in three years you can have a fraction of the business and in three more years you keep earning equity yeah I want the business to eventually be vast majority ownership by each and every single employee that works there that spot and this spot I don't want to I don't want to come in and have employees anymore. I want to come in and have a team that are partners. Exactly. And I feel that a way very much. And like I've seen the differences even in my own companies with the managers and the way they manage us. There's managers that build teams and realizes the only way to get to the top is to keep building stronger boats and then filling it with water. Like, okay, hardship, let's grow more water. But first I got to keep building the boats bigger and stronger that are going to float up with me. Because if I float up by myself, all of them drowned and the whole business will drown eventually. And the ones who look at it as a team environment do that. All the ships were all a team. Like we all have to serve a function. Like we're a military fleet or naval fleet. And I think that that's where it is. And I find the same thing that you were talking about, which is, in that area you're almost the difference is very different for me now like i used to be very focused on the business lessons like marketing and accounting and picking this stuff out and the structure and the standard operating procedures for lack of a better term which they're all important to teach but i wasn't layering in the core values i wasn't laying in being a mentor or Mm -hmm. like i have that much influence over them or like hey like we're in we've been together for 24 years like we got to think about this and it started about seven or eight years ago when I realized I had more duty to do and more responsibility than just, it's more than just a transaction. It's more than just serving good food. It's more than just taking pride in being a family. It's the purpose. It's that we're all doing it together and investing in them. 
And you could tell very quickly when I started going in that direction, the managers or the executives uh, within our own company that disagreed with that type of thing, the very you know, old school and structure and like rule with an iron fist. And I'm just like, is this real? Like we still think this way as humanity. And I never thought that way. But when I actually started to pull really hard in the right way, knowing it was the right moral and ethical thing, because I'd been in business long enough to see what succeeded in building long-term value and relationships with humans and how to get team members, you almost cause a rift. And so any entrepreneurs listening in, most entrepreneurs listening in are probably in their beginning stages um, it's important that you do the core values and stuff we're talking about at the beginning. Yeah. Like invest in the humans, realize it is a long-term thing that ultimately that you want to give them their retirement should not be a 401k mm-hmm. plan. It should be business ownership in the thing yeah. that they built and yep. shares that they did. And Publix does a good job of this as a grocery store, giving shares to employees, even like teenagers who nice. work in their company for X amount of time, they start getting shares. And I think that that's a good program. And it's the one I know the best that's m- the most successful, I would say, that I know. And then eventually the employees are running the business, even the ones that come in and start working at it as it grows. And even as they leave the company, maybe to go to college or whatever, they're also now clients of the of the business. Nice. Right? Nice. And if you're there longer, you obviously get more shares. Of course. So it's just that type of reward system. It's the best I've seen um, practice, but that doesn't mean there isn't a better one. It's just the one that I've seen that really works for growing a company and the happiest people from that little exchange ever. So James, let's talk about food. How do you choose, like, what's your background in terms of cooking? We talked about mixology. Like, what is your background? Were you a chef? Were you a bartender? Like, or were you a mixologist? None all of, of that. the above. Okay, I was cool. None of it. I oh. was, I'm, and I'm still not a chef. I won't take the title yeah. of chef or mixologist. Uh, there's a certain amount of years and respect that I feel should be put on those titles. Absolutely. Often, too many, oftentimes, too many people call themselves a chef because they've been in the kitchen. But a chef creates, and a chef can run a kitchen. Running a kitchen is more than just delegating and hey here's my line do this a chef knows how from inventory to budgeting to understanding the actual business um and growth the chef focuses on on growth and not so much just revenue which is important because it helps keep people employed but um growth in all levels like taking a person who is a dishwasher and saying hey one day you could become a chef too uh and then with mixologists i mean I mean, you start off usually as a bar back, right? And then you work your way up as a bartender. So I'm none of those things. But my background really stems from marketing, uh, biz dev and sales. Yeah. I worked at a lot of restaurants. At one point, I worked at Yelp for four years. And the vast majority of my clients were restaurants. Yeah. And what separated me from every person selling ad space or anything of that nature is I always wanted, just like you interviewing me, I wanted to learn more about them, right? Because there's sacrifices that people make that are... I mean, insane, insane. yeah, insane. insanity, insane. and some of the, what people do to form a business and have the freedom and independence, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember this, it became really insane was, there's an ice cream shop in St. Louis called uh, Clementine Creamery, Tamara's the name of the owner, she's a sweetheart. When she first opened up her first ice cream shop, her and I spoke about advertising on Yelp. After doing all the deep research to know which program is going to work best for her, I was like, hey, this is going to be your best program. I strongly recommend it. 
She was scared, and she never told me this up until last year when her and I finally met in person when she was in New York. Uh, she had a few dollars left in her bank account. She had no idea if she was going to succeed or not. Now her company is worth a lot, and she's opened up, and she's doing great things. If you haven't had her ice cream, she ships across the country. Best fucking ice cream, let me tell you. Um, I still buy it myself. I pay the $100 shipping just to have it. Um, but it was the fact that she... You know, she made that sacrifice that no one's ever really going to talk about. Um, well, and, so, and uh, I mean, like, let's talk about that advertising because I think it's important, that knowledge. I, I don't want to get you off on a mm-hmm. tangent, but I'm going to get you off on a commentary because you have that experience. So what is that like? It lets me see the business deeper. I mean, because she invested in something and Mm -hmm. she didn't know whether it was going to succeed. And there's another story like this in St. Louis about First Form. (laughs) They were like down to their last money and like they invested in advertising with some guy who walked in the door for four months and it blew their stores out of the water. And he's just, wait four months, wait four months. And so I've got to imagine that you have that knowledge that what's that? I mean, you impacted businesses, right? Yelp yeah. helped many, many, many yeah, yeah. businesses. People don't realize that. Yeah, they don't. They they look at the uh, reviews and they don't want to receive it as. I mean, look, sometimes reviewers are not that great. So, uh, some people saw Yelp negatively because of the negative reviews, but and because granted, there are people that it's a very small percentage, but there are people that complain about or the smallest things and then they'll go to any online platform and and try to rip it and because yelp has this algorithm where reviews are essentially recommended or not recommended um you know it 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 hurt people because then they would try to get all their friends and families to write reviews that had nothing to do with the business you know or the person experience of going on to yelp finding the review i mean yelp was so strict with the reviews that when i worked there if i wrote a review i would have been terminated didn't matter if I was a top performer. I could have been with the company 5, 10, 15 years. If I wrote a review, I was fired. So I always respected Yelp. And even in my business, like I use it to see you know, what's going on when I'm not there. But with the marketing side of it, it is a risk. All advertising is a risk. But that's a risk you have to be willing to take. And a lot of times people forget that everyone's outlet is different now. So some people still like getting flyers at their apartment. Some people go on their phone and they use the Google or yeah. they use Yelp or they use TripAdvisor. I mean, the platform goes on. And if you're <laughs> no, not... Now DoorDash. DoorDash, and DoorDash Grubhub, Seamless. Yeah. I mean, and DoorDash has actually been... I see more revenue from DoorDash. And this is not a plug, but I actually see more revenue from DoorDash than I do my Grubhub, than I do anything else, right? And it's just the way consumers are interacting with yeah. the world, right? I've had one person once say, why don't you just build your own online? Um, I have a website, but they're like, why don't you just have everyone order from there? I'm like, well, who's going to deliver? And honestly, who's going to remember to go to La Fonda when they are just looking for a general search? Yeah. Right? So the marketing came in because it allowed me to think the way you know, users think. I was able to then say, okay, well, in my advertising days, this is how I would have searched for things, and this is how the vast majority of people search for things. So I learned how to use keywords. I mean, I was doing SEO and SEM before it was popular, yeah. right? Like we're talking, was that 10, 15 years ago? Yeah. Um, so that really helped me in the space. So I wasn't, I wasn't doing the, I wasn't a chef. I wasn't in the kitchen or anything of that nature. And in some ways, it was also like it, it caused conflict in the restaurant space of me being an owner because people were like, you don't know shit. You know, you just know how to advertise and market. And 
I would usually shrug my shoulders and say, look, before I took over, the first two years I worked in the space. Yeah. I, was, I was a server, dishwasher, prep, prep, more, um, yeah. line cook, uh, did the food shopping for a long time. Uh, what else? I mean... And I think one of the things that, that you touched upon is like the SEO and stuff like that. What's always interesting, even the Yelp, is people make fun of it at the very beginning. And, and other restaurateurs were like hard on, like, you're going to use that Yelp thing. But the reality is, is even if you dislike it, you're going to have to figure out as an entrepreneur, it's a new boundary. you got to figure out how to succeed in or disrupt or whatever you're going to do, depending on what type of entrepreneur you are. But if you're a positive one and you're in the food space, like you can't fight those battles. Like they're not a battle you want to fight. We're not in the technology space. We're in the food customer service space. And so it's like one of those things of realizing like what we're good at and what we're not good at. And as food entrepreneurs, we can blaze trails like no other. We can expire people. We deal with humans. Even if robots come into this business, we're still going to have to deal with angry customers. Mm -hmm. The robots, not, no one's going to be happy like yelling at a robot. <laughs> you think that's going to get like they're going to feel satisfied when they're really angry? Like part of being really angry as a customer happens when, because they're not listened to by anyone else. And when you can hear them in the anger, like that's part of the service given. Mm -hmm. That's part of the relief. And all of a sudden you might have a customer for life because of that. If you can like, okay, I understand you're mad. I would be mad too. Normally you're probably not heard. That's why you're yelling. Yep. And if we can handle it that way, you know, you have a customer for life. But, uh, you know, robots, I agree with them. But how are you going to interact with that? And we've talked a lot about that, actually. And I'm going to stem into this because I think we talked a little bit about a podcast. And I want to talk about your locations. But I think it's good because you and I are sort of on the same level on this is that you need them. It's going to be part of the technology because we don't have enough individuals that want to work in food anymore and be blue collar workers. Yep. But you got to figure out how to still have the human interaction. I mean, you talked about a podcast. You've talked about some thoughts on that. Do you want to yeah, share it? I was listening to another podcast called, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. Hold on one second. And it, it was it was really good, just that one. I mean, there's a few episodes. And, we'll, and let me give everyone a background while he's looking at that. In the food world, we're starting to see like whole food equipment solutions where Food equipment companies that traditionally built food, if they're not going to autom autom uh, artificial intelligence and robots to like do the fryers, to do certain parts, it's like one whole system. It's not that you just put a robot behind your fryer. No, you got to buy the whole fryer system because it's one unit now that works with the robots. And so they're taking over aspects that are, I don't know, for lack of a better term, your mass production spots. And even with service, like getting the, getting the food to the table is one thing and then getting, you know, making sure everything's okay. So if the robots are delivering, a person can still see if they're okay. I don't know, but that's something we've talked about. So yeah. go on. And so I found it. It's called, uh, the name of the podcast is Restaurant Strategy. Oh yeah. You're the second person that's told me about this today. Okay. I mean, this are in the last two days. So then rethinking the role of the waiter was the one I was listening to. And what's crazy, so this is what boggles my mind. I'm, I'm a forward-thinking person, and sometimes I doubt myself. And I think of yeah. things like seven, eight months ago, I thought of everything this podcast spoke about. And I was like, all right, this is a universe sign. Maybe I need to start going on my gut more. But I was already speaking with the individuals with the, the robot waiter uh, prior to them like starting to make a little more headway. And what held me back was... I wanted to give the job to people because I wanted them to earn a living. 
And then here's where the thing, where everything's starting to get tricky, where I'm starting to learn from my life lessons. Those that want to wait on tables are those that are in that desperate need and they really want to grow. Like I have one lady who uh, came here illegally, but she left her family of four back home, you know, just to seek an opportunity. And now she works for me part time. She works with Domino's Pizza part time, and then she does DoorDash part time. Yeah, it's just a lot to generate of enough revenue, a lot of hustle to send money back home, and yeah, her and I are now in conversations to say, hey, and DoorDash is a rough life. I think is. people don't realize how rough it is. It's I like one of the roughest businesses to it be is. in. It is because you never know. Some people are cheap as hell. Yeah, they'll leave you dirt poor cheap tips, yep. and then you're rushing to get to somewhere. And yep. some of them start off on foot. Yep. You know, and or riding the bikes or whatever, eventually. which then becomes very risky. But then also, yeah. some of them are now, you know, so yeah. like there's, so, there's I mean, like a, a weird it's one of those things. I feel like it's like the waiter thing. Like it's a it's a middle ground mm-hmm. for a lot of mm-hmm. people to start building something, and it's a stepping stone. Yeah, I think DoorDash does a good job of like doing that with credit cards and stuff. But to your point, you have someone who's working three jobs trying to make it. Trying as to a make waiter, it, and waitress. so then we started speaking about the different things because now with that whole concept of rethinking it. It gives her now, I can train her now to be more customer focused and rethinking it. Like, hey, you're not just waiting tables now. Now you're going to interact with them. You're going to get to learn about them. You're going to find out who they are because the reality is when someone comes into your restaurant, depending where your restaurant is and the type of restaurant you are, I'm a small mom and pop shop uptown and I'm a small coffee shop downtown. The goal in the field is to feel connected, that connectivity. And if I do bring on the robot, the robot, all the robot's gonna do is bring the food to the table. It, it frees up now the time for my staff members to get to know them, do a few other things, and really care for the business and take care of it. So when you and I were speaking earlier about that, it was a quote I heard once, I don't remember from who, but they were asked, aren't you afraid to lose your job to a calculator? Yeah. And she said no. Instead, or she or he, I don't remember who it was, and, and the quote was, I'm gonna learn how to fix the calculators. So when you don't have a job anymore, now they're calling me, and who can fix the calculator? Who can fix the machine? It's me. And I think that if we don't adapt to it, and we don't try to receive it, it'll overtake us in ways that are gonna, you know, be, it's just gonna shock us. the other, the other factor of that is the blue collar role that you're, that you're mentioning. People downplay this so much, it's sad. I mean, I get customers sometimes that, whether it's here or in my uptown spot, they don't know I'm the owner. I'm, I'm young, so I don't dress like an owner. I'm usually in a sweater. My sweater yeah, me too, all stains, the time. You know? Yeah, and <laughs> some sort of sneaker. Exactly. My sneakers Jeans, are, oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I look homeless sometimes, right? Yeah. And I get treated a certain way. Yeah, of course. And then I'll tell them like, hey, I, I own the place. And then there's shocks, their attitude, everything changes. But I bring that up because if it's not for the blue collar jobs, a lot of the things that people go to restaurants for, bars, cafes, shops, clothing shops, won't exist. Yeah. You can buy your stuff online, yeah, and then have it shipped to you, but I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna still at some point have to go to the shop to buy your clothes or in this case like with food if you come into a spot and you want to rush and you want to grab it i mean then yeah a machine would be better maybe a coffee vending machine outside that you can just press and grab your stuff and go because i honestly don't want to deal with customers like that i mean i genuinely don't i want people to come in and say hey 
I want a coffee. Whether it's to go or not, I just don't want the rush because I don't feel the only thing that's going to keep us around long enough is when we start going back to having conversation, when we start going back to being humans. You know, if we want to speed everything ahead, then, of course, the robots make perfect sense to take over the industry. I mean, I didn't even know there was a deep fryer robot. I'm thinking of all the cool things I could probably do. All my, my French fries can come out perfectly now yeah. like because they all know the timing system, you know, and freeze up my staff to do other cool things, you know. But I welcome AI. I welcome robots. I'm not going to be afraid of it. Uh, but if I had to choose between both, of course, I would want more humans. Find me those in America that want to work. I mean, yeah. I, I, there's plenty of of, of in, immigrants that come here undocumented that want to work and get them J1 visas. I'll fucking hire them yeah, in a heartbeat. I agree I'll with give you. them all work, you know, but it's difficult. So the robots are going to be the next way. Yeah, we're sort of shooting ourselves in the foot. We've understood that immigration is what built this country. you got to layer it in and then the next generation up in the American dream. That's just our system. We're not like everywhere else. We can't just control borders. We actually, our system is entirely built on growth and being able to follow the American dream. So I think that's an important part. I think on the robot thing also, I think it's just one of those things where, you know, there wasn't even sliced bread until the 1930s. So, I mean, as humanity, like a lot of people are shocked and what they're even probably even more shocked about is like white bread was never even enriched. So it actually was causing people to be malnourished at one time until they figured out they had to put vitamins into it and enrich things, even rice, the same thing, because we just have certain technologies that we do and we rush things through and they have impact and but also in the grand scam screen uh, grand scale things innovation and food and stuff has only just begun so i mean the robot thing the 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 getting the systems down where everything's systemized and the french fries the same french fry here across the country is what mcdonald's has been trying to do to humans and they've done it with humans but the robot is what gave krispy kreme the same donut everywhere it was one machine that basically did all the work it was like i mean it's not a robot it doesn't think for itself but it did all the work for krispy kreme you go to any krispy kreme the humans are doing very little work other than mixing the dough the rest the donut being spun the thing going in the machine all of it's like automated and they just concentrate on one so i think that it depends on the model if you're hand making bagels you can't stop you can't just all of a sudden claim you're not you're not hand making bagels anymore right uh, so it true. depends on the business model and i think that that's what people are going to find is what is going to actually work with my business model and what can i give up and sacrifice and what can i just like anything else but we're going to have to adapt to the technology like anyone who didn't adapt to the delivery service i just there's few and far between i know but it crushed them like everyone switched switched to getting food at home and and it's a little bit of an unregulated industry and I see that people are going to care more and more just because it's such a high revenue taxation business but I think that as food entrepreneurs we can only adapt to what's going on you see how fast food entrepreneurs adapted mm-hmm. to reels I mean how many guys are just like business was like 80 years old and now they do a reel and actually demonstrate what they how good their food is and now they're an international phenomenon yeah so i think it's just that you've got to be prepared you're not going to hit everyone you're just got to hope you like one of them works or like when you're down to your last dollar that you met the right person that believes in you and it's honest with you and helps you out right because i think that's what you did for her and how we got to this in the first place so and that was not a big thing like 
when she told me that story, I mean, I'm always amazed because one of the things that, if you're especially if you're starting out as an entrepreneur, what happens is nobody talks about the grunt work. Nobody talks about the sacrifice, the sleep, the, I mean, I was speaking to one of my good friends who owns his own tequila company, Yava Tequila, and, you know, we were really talking about the first five years before he started traveling. Now he's traveling across the country because the brand's growing. No one saw when he was selling his own tequila, putting it in his book bag, on the train, going from location to location to location. No one sees that. No. No one sees when I'm up late at night making sure payroll's right, making sure the inventory's right, making sure the menus are correct, going over things. The labor-intensive things when I'm prepping certain items to make sure it's right or when I go into my restaurant late night to really check to make sure the fridges are working or to make sure the, the food control is there because I'm not there in the daytime because I'm here. There's so much grunt work that goes behind. Like, I mean, you did this for four years. If someone sees that you have over 200 episodes, they're not going to know, wow, did he start yesterday and he just happens. No, it's, it, this is... It takes time to get there. And yeah. a lot of a lot of us so that's also the backfire of like the internet, right? People think that all oh, because they had this video that went viral all, all of a sudden, that's how, what made them successful. No. You have no fucking idea how many hours went behind that. Before yeah. I mean those those food workers that have those fast hands. You ever seen any of those videos? Yeah. And it's crazy, but I could only imagine how many hours were spent just to get there exactly and it's 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 really grunt work at the end of the day robot no robot even when robots come about i mean it's going to be how much more work the next person is doing over you and that yeah. that's what whether you're an entrepreneur or not like we got to get out the habit of being lazy and realize like hey to make shit happen you got to get up when no one else is up and you got to do it i mean my day starts at 5 a.m just to go to jujitsu yeah that's it. Like that's that's me at five a.m. hurting, and I'm like, ah, oh. you know, feed my dog and tell her, hey, I'm gonna be back. Go to jujitsu. Roll for a while. Walk halfway home and then go home. Up five flights to grab my dog to come back down five flights to then come back up to five flights after we have a thirty minute to an hour walk depending on the weather. To then shower. Right, and if I'm in a rush, sometimes it's gonna sound gross. I can't shower. I gotta rush and move things around. Um, to then get to my locations, to check everything, to then deal with phone calls, emails, you know, the list goes on. To then eventually, when my day's over, to go back home, walk the dog, spend time with her on the couch for a few minutes to be like, all right, I gotta get back up and go. Like today, it's gonna be I go up, I walk her, I rush to my other location check on everyone grab a few of the inventory come back down here to then be ready from seven to close to midnight and then to repeat it again tomorrow and these are the things that no one ever wants to understand whether you're a robot or not whether you're worried about like the blue collar job is important yes you could be a tech person yes you can travel and do whatever you want in the world but at some point you got to respect what built this country and what built this country and every other country is that person that is doing the grunt work or no one else is doing it yeah. and that's the same reason why to go back to what we were talking about earlier why i believe in giving equity in my business to people because i've heard stories of some of these migrants that come here and walk from one country through the jungle to take the train and take a boat watch people die on the way up 
to get into this country yeah, and provide a dream that other people take for granted. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, all of, I mean, our my family history and a lot of like people would just send their children through Ellis Island. So it's we're same. We're talking like sacrifices that are unimaginable to live a dream to have an opportunity where. As we were just talking about earlier here, you're not an entrepreneur also worrying whether or not your country's stable enough that your business could even be around in 10 years. Not because you're a bad entrepreneur, but because that may be unstable, but you're taking the risk anyway. So there's a lot of entrepreneurs around the world that are taking the risk with a lot less opportunity on their side yep. and a lot less um, advantage to succeed. So I think that's like that whole thing right there also like we're talking about here is like the mindset of where we start from and what we have and what we're building um so the employees that come here like they're looking for that opportunity and that advantage of coming here so if they're rewarded not only with recognition but also with ownership and and starting their own american dream i think it goes a long way and that's part of when we got into COVID and we for, we left the food service industry beside, we forgot that that's what the food industry has done for immigration groups from mm-hmm. all the way from the beginning. When we didn't even have restaurants like we know them or fast food, like it's always been a stepping stone because we all know how to work with food. We all can learn it and it's a blue collar job and there's more food entrepreneurs out there than any other entrepreneurial field and there's more of them creating businesses for people to gain money from and have a living from so that's the other thing most people don't realize how many food entrepreneurs are actually out there fulfilling other people's dreams you know and that's what we're talking about not only american dreams but but the robots i get it but what happens to now all the dreams that were being fulfilled and how do we manage that and how do we still give it back i'm not saying there's not a solution in technology but we still need to keep in mind that at the end of the day this is about human growth and human existence so what do we do with it how do we still give advantage to the food service you can't automate it like you'll lose the creativity of the genius like there's Mm -hmm. some genius food concepts coming out right now that we've never seen before types of food you don't want to get rid of that because it happens by stupid stuff someone accidentally spilling something in a fryer you know so like all food is created with someone being a subject to testing yeah and someone just saying you know what i want to risk it exactly you know? i mean think of sushi like who created i don't know who created sushi. <laughs> i don't know either and i'd love to look that up but i mean i'm sure at some point it was an accident and there was someone like oh i don't have a fire to yeah to cook this so slice it up eat it raw i don't know but you're right you hit it you hit a really core part because i when it comes to creativity, that's the one thing I try to get my staff the you know the open doors to is creating. And that's why I'm also like barely there sometimes, and so they can use their brains. Yeah. I mean, I tell them, hey, don't call me if it's not an emergency. Like I got five calls from my brother, right, who works for me right now, and I'm not answering it because it's like figure it out. Like use your brain, figure it out. I'm sure you can make this yeah. happen and make it run, and that's it. Like. In this case, use a computer, right? Go on your phone and Google it, you know, yeah. YouTube it, figure it out. But use that creativity on all scales because things can happen. This place was all my brain just going a little like wonkers. I mean, the freaking murals on the wall were all hand done, right? By two of my close friends that did this for me. And it's beautiful, but it was their creativity and it was my creativity saying, I think this is going to make this place look better. Yeah. And I've gotten more people to stop in and take photos of the artwork and then eventually buy coffee just because it's something that's not really done as much. And it was that creative mind flow that people are just like, uh, 
So you hit something, a good core, because food is always created, and there are great things. There's a spot in, in Puerto Rico that uses a pegao, which is um, the rice that's at the, the, the burnt rice at the bottom of the pan. Some Every country has a different name for it. And they were using it to make sushi. So instead of using sushi rice, they're using pegao and, and whatever the fish and sauce. And I remember trying, I was like, this is fucking genius. I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. They're using the rice that we would throw out, like literally just scrape it up and dump it. And like, no, no, we can save this and make something else and repurpose it. And, it's, and it's pretty good, actually. The burnt insane. rice, you lose a little butter, and it's like, oh okay, God. this is a flavored profile that I kind of like here. I didn't see this one coming. I no. know exactly what you're talking it's about. It's crazy. And that's like usually was the, I mean, for us, was the, the poor person snack, right? We, you know, we were a big family, right? So being a big family, if we were hungry and my grandmother had just finished cooking, but it wasn't dinner time yet, after she transferred the rice into whatever, another pot, she would take the pegao or the kong kong or whatever it's yeah. called, scrape it up, make a little ball, maybe put something in it, maybe butter, maybe, or maybe just plain, and say, here you go. And then you were happy because you're like, yes, I'm being fed. And I was like, no, it's just like, I can't give you food now. There's not enough money to keep making more food. You'll eat what I'm about to throw out of Yeah. You. And it's it's been, you know, it's been a part of it. Yeah, it's also... Original rice pudding sort of happened that way. It was just using the burnt pudding, burnt rice in the pudding. So it's an extra way to do it. That's what I hear. Yeah, same idea. That's sort of like, oh, what do we do with this? Sweeten it up with a little sugar and mash it into a rice pudding. Nice. So a little milk, I think. Is that how bread pudding then was done? I have no idea, probably, Uh because it is a little bit of like the wasted bread. Yeah, (laughs) smashed maybe before it was sliced, as Mm. we just talked about. Before sliced bread. So, James, as we sort of round things out like you had a gentleman in here who is like you know you know everyone by name so you're very personal as we talked about so and that investment in the community we talk about in the employees but talk about a little bit more about your investment how why do you know like a lot of the individuals that come in here it's happened throughout today you know by name you have conversations with them tell me about why you do that what what is it why is that important to you so this is uh, this is not a plug, but I'm going to give Bank of America a little credit for this. So when I was younger, I worked at Bank of America for a year. I didn't love it, so I'm not going to lie about that. But yeah. on their paycheck, whenever you got a paycheck before the direct deposit phase, it said you know something along the lines, I don't know verbatim, but thanks to the customer. And that stuck with me for a very long time. I mean, we're talking over a decade. Yeah. And... For me, it's the person that comes in here that's willing to spend their hard-earned dollar. I have no idea what they went through that day, that week, that month. And if they came in because my coffee or my sandwich or my rice and beans or whatever brings them that much more joy, then they deserve that much attention from me. They deserve that love. They deserve that respect. Because they don't have to. They really don't. They can go to the supermarket, buy their stuff, cook it at home. But it's their way to support and it's their way, it's, it, you know, it, it's my way to give back. Yeah. And in some cases, I mean, people can afford it, so it's, that's not always the situation, but yeah. I, don't know their, I don't know their outcome. I don't. I mean, and where I am up in East Harlem, I'm not the cheapest Puerto Rican restaurant, nor am I the most expensive. But if someone's going to come in to spend $17 on a plate, to me, that means a lot. Like, I don't want, my, I don't want the plate to look bad. I don't want, when you pour the beans, I, my staff knows they have to wipe around to make the cup look nice. 
get to know the customer because also they come back to a place where they're familiar. It's about when we spoke about in the first episode was the nostalgia. And you have to create that with people. But more is just about being personable. So even going back to the robots, even if you have the robot, then if I freed up your time now from going to the kitchen and picking up the plates and dropping it off, get to get to know who they are. They're humans. At the end of the day, they're people. You also don't know. I, there's a lady... Uh, who comes into the restaurant often, and a gentleman, they're not together, they come at two different times, and they're two different people with two different world aspects, but they're both lonely. And when they come in, the restaurant is, is becomes that home for them. And they just want a place where they can vent, where they can express, where they can talk. And yeah, absolutely. It's cheaper than therapy, you know. Because um, therapy's not covered that well in the summer shows, yeah. right? But... Uh, it's important. So I, I do it. Being a part of the community is just to to make them feel special. Because I really don't know what their day was like, but they came here to give me their dollar. Yeah, I have two comments on that. One is is that I do spend a lot of time alone. Like, I've been single-ish for a while now. And we're all single, I guess, for real. And so I spend a lot of time to myself. So if I don't go out, like, I'm by myself, right? I don't have any urge to, like go do anything but if i don't go out and i don't go to a bar or i don't go to a restaurant i don't meet anyone and that's not saying i'm going out partying it's just like i have to go socialize like that's who i am and i'm a networking person even though if you would have met me oh, 10 years ago i was pretty introverted as an entrepreneur and only speak within my companies but now i'm not that person anymore once i feel like i have to share my gift in order to keep it mm -hmm. and i have to give back in order to learn in order to plant seeds so like i keep filling the water for me filling the water so all the ships rise is like sharing my knowledge and helping everyone that i can doing the podcast or and i invest a lot of time outside the podcast speaking of which but i think my point being is it's important that we invest in the people around us always. And it's important that we have purpose in it and that we're always raising the level around us in our communities because it does raise our business. Mm -hmm. It does raise our families. It does raise our relationships. And if you're alone and you have time alone, like being able to go out and, and find purpose or share with people or share your story or whatever, you have a lot of impact. And she's coming in here or he... Um, but it's also a place where they feel they know you and you're in a similar situation. You're like, I'm a solo guy. Like I'm working hard to make my way in the world. And that's pretty cool, right? There's a lot of us out there that are just like more free spirited than others. And I think that that's important. And I think that in the food world, if there's a robot behind the counter or server, you're going to lose that. Who's the person by themselves, you know? And if you have someone that goes around your restaurant, almost like a sweeper in soccer that helps make sure like maybe the single guests need a little more attention because they're by some maybe they don't maybe they want time alone mm -hmm. but you still need to make the association of whether that human alone wants to have attention or they don't want attention you know and i think that's part of going out as a solo human in this day and age and there's going to be a lot more of us i just feel like relationships are becoming less and less important as people are trying to struggle with money and inflation and particularly in america and find their own way and their own purpose right before they find get mixed up in someone else's purpose and I and family and all of that so I think there's not everyone but I think there's a lot more people out there wanting to find purpose and a direction and then unite that as a visionary thread of their life where it's going to go with someone then just sort of okay let's be in a relationship and figure it out later mm -hmm. and so a lot more solo time a lot more you know even with the apps you still have to go meet someone in person 
Like yeah. you can't just avoid it and you're not going to go, hey, let's go to the opera. You're never going to talk to each other or let's go to a hockey game. Great idea, but you can't hear each other for mm-hmm. shit or a concert. Like, hello, what are you saying? And I'm half deaf, like yeah. probably at this point. Yeah. So it's like one of those things where I feel you need the median, you need the relationships and you need spaces that encourage it. And this is it. I mean, everyone that's come in here, we've talked to, like I said earlier. The other part I want to say about immigration is, and we'll talk about Bank of America, is that when it came here, it was actually an Italian immigrant. Mm-hmm. It was the Bank of Italy. And he was just servicing Italians because Italians were so afraid of inflation from being in Italy that they were stacking all their money under their yep. mattress. Yep. Literally, it's where the term comes from, or in the shoebox. Yep. Because the Italians, that's what we were doing. And, um, and a lot of immigration groups. But first, he's like, okay, I'll deal with the times. But what he realized is that he needed to service all Americans with service. And the kind of service he was able to give his own community, everyone deserved, you know, no matter what color, ethnicity, creed, whatever. He's, and that kind of thinking is where we, and we often start off, okay, how are we solving these problems? How do we help our community? How do we do whatever? And we, we improvise. Maybe it is with robots, and maybe it's whatever, but ultimately if we can help more humans, if we can have a larger impact, maybe a greater purpose, maybe his purpose was banking at first and making money, but as he grew, it's like, no, 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 I'm here to help people so they can live their dreams, so they can buy houses. So it's not only Italian communities, but it's the Greek community and the, the Puerto Rican community and, you know, the black communities and whatever else needed help, you know, Bank of America's like, okay, we're all of America. And I think that that's sort of the story here also in your mindset is it takes that sort of struggle. It takes that sort of American dream that needs to keep happening regardless of robots in order for us to preserve that. And that entrepreneurism that sort of spills everywhere else in the world. You know, we kind of spill our entrepreneurism, our freedom and our liberty and our free thinking through entrepreneurism everywhere we go. If that's really what gets America going, it's not our ability to vote freely while that is part of it. It's really the entrepreneurs that it, that act inside our, our countries that know the boundaries and find the freedoms and liberties in them and live their own dreams and create their own way of life. Like, you know, I just, I'm very like into food and you see Heinz how many times he failed before he actually got ketchup and discovered it. Oh, tomato. And before that it was like mushroom ketchup, which sounds really <laughs> gross, right? So it's things oh, no, like I'm that. I'm a fan of mushrooms. So. Yeah, I'm a fan of mushrooms too. So I'm always curious, like, what other vegetable ketchups could there be? Because there once were many, but it was to cover up rancid meat because we didn't have refrigeration. Mm. And, but he did it in a way that, and the reason he survived is because he did it the right way. He was always about food safety. He's always about whole ingredients, uh, uh, the original Heinz and and stick into those 57 original recipes and they were all going to be clean and they were going to be safer cans and they were going to be less filling and everything was about safety, safety, safety. And so why they're around today is because they had that similar mindset. I've got to take care of the people. I want it safer for the humans. I want to make impact. I want to create jobs. But I also want people to have the ease at home to spend more time with their family or if they need to work three jobs, they can get the canned goods easily. Because, you know, back in the day, think about how long it cooked. So... The opposite of that is when everyone's go, 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 they need a place to just settle down and, and be a human mm-hmm. because we are, are so unhuman in our world. We're like little robots ourselves. We yeah. go to work, we come back. We're very regimented and it's good to have structure, but it's also good to just be human and actually realize what it means to be connected. And I think that's what you're talking about in your restaurants. Yeah. So um, I'm going to give you the mic. 
you want to tell any entrepreneurs out there, you can tell us where they can find you and your addresses as well. But what keeps you going? If yeah. you could tell the world anything, what would it be? If there is anything to say, it's it's what I learned recently. Um, stop chasing a purpose that's not your own. And stop caring about what everyone else is going to say or think about you. Because they're going to die too. Five years from now, what you did won't matter. Ten years from now, won't matter. A hundred years won't matter. Even if you are put in the history books, it's not going to matter to every single person. There are billions of people in the world. Live your life with what you want to do. Regardless of if you're going to have people against you, you don't need them by your side anyway. Um, just focus exclusively focus exclusively on what you really want to do in life and it could be anything whether you want to be an entrepreneur or not but the advice would just be I guess to simplify just stop caring about everyone else and just care about yourself and then when you find that true love and that deep dive you'll be able to give more to people and you'll be able to do more for people I agree with you. And I think the opportunities and the doors that open up for you when you find stop chasing other people's purposes or other people's expectations of you. Um, that's one of the freedoms that when we truly become entrepreneurs and we get in sort of our flow, we find ourselves. And it's not like we are looking, but we somehow built the ver- start building the version of ourselves that we want to be. I don't know how else to describe it. It's not like we know, but we get this idea of who we want to be in the world. And as an entrepreneur, when we start to become that person and build that person, everything else aligns in that direction. And when the things we less are focused on, like the, the how important it is to find a love or how important it is to the money, they become less important and they, become, they come into our lives more naturally mm-hmm. and organically and without hardship. And the hardship becomes in just hustling and doing the right thing and taking care of people like we talked about and investing in the growth of other humans and then the rest seems to follow. And I think that that's the opening up of doors that happens then you start networking, you have a better mindset, you're more positive. Next thing you know, you have business relations you didn't even know you had or you're in businesses that you didn't even know you were gonna be in. And I think that that's part of what we're talking about here. So thank you everyone for listening in. Thank you, James, for your time today. I appreciate it. And all the hanging out. I'm going to hang out here for a while down here in in Manhattan. So I'm looking forward to it. Check us out. Uh, Thank you everyone for listening in. Uh, If you like what you hear, please share it. Please share it with anyone you know who wants to be an entrepreneur. I appreciate all of you guys. I love you guys. If you want to find us, we're on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can find me at Justin Bizarro, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. You can also find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And if you want to order food, I recommend DoorDash. Thank you guys, and I'm out. <laughs>